the rest of us, we are going to be taking a look this morning at the Gospel of John, this ancient account of the story of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And, and we come to this place, a, a kind of a turning point in the novel, if you will, of as the uh, the opposition, the, the persecution, the people who uh, saw Jesus do what he did, and they heard Jesus say what he said, and, and they didn't like it. They didn't want anything to do with it. And as much as like we want to listen to these stories and be like, yeah, that's those people. I'd be with the good guys. Somehow in these stories, we keep finding ourselves on the other side of Jesus. So I invite you to join with me as we read uh, from John chapter 5. John chapter 5, and I'll read the first uh, 17 verses here. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. He took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man that said to me, Take up your bed and walked. And they said to him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Lord, we uh, look at this old, old story of how you engaged and interacted with uh, these human beings that lived in a real time and a real place. And sometimes it can seem so far from us, and yet you have given us these words. You've given us these words that we might know you, that we might be found by you, and God, that we might experience the life that you have promised to those who hear and believe in your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was, gosh, I bet it was 10 years ago. Um, and Whitney and I were probably a, a newly, a relatively newly mar married couple. And um, she decided that she needed to have uh, a North Face fleece which might seem like a normal and average, ordinary thing to you. Uh, but I was raised to be kind of distrustful of brand names, right? Like, $160 for a fleece? 
Like $160? Are, are you serious? Like, what does this fleece do that the $15 one from Old Navy doesn't do, right? And so I was, you know, I was like, oh, okay, goodness. And, and so I, I went into my hyper research mode, as we've discussed before, right? And I'm looking online, and I'm trying to find the best prices. And I'm like, these suckers are expensive, right? So I go to eBay, right, the mother of all deals. And there I find a brand new with tags on North Face fleece for like 30 bucks, the only trick is you had to wait 30 days for it to ship directly from China, right? But it was brand new with tags. You could see it, right? Of course, I knew that this was probably not an authentic North Face fleece, right? But I thought, will she really be able to tell the difference? I mean, it just, all it needs, it has the name, it has the logo. It's just a black fleece with a white stitching on it, right? Like, It'll still serve its purpose. It'll still keep her warm, right? So I ordered the fleet. I, I didn't try to trick her. I said, there's a chance that this is real, but almost certainly this is fake, right? <laughs> but let's give it a whirl and see if it works for you first, right? And then if it doesn't, we'll go back and, and buy this more expensive one. As we come to this passage in John, though, there's... There's two different uh, groups of people, and these two different people have, have come to religion, and, and their religions have the name of God. They have the name of Yahweh in them. They have a belief system that, that fits a need. It does its purpose. It's sort of like that counterfeit fleece did, right? It, it, it kept them warm to a degree, right? As long as that zipper lasted, which was about a month and a half, by the way, uh, the, the, the fleece worked just fine. But as Jesus comes in and as Jesus begins to expose the shortcomings, the, the failings, the, the, the obvious self evident folly of these man-made religions, he begins to get pushback. And he's going to begin to be persecuted, and he's beginning to begin uh, to be attacked. Because we don't like it very much when our man-made religions are exposed for the frauds that they are. So we're going to take a look at two. The first is a, a man-made religion that looks at God like God's some sort of magical genie, right? The genie in the lamp that you just have to, to find and, and, and rub the right way, and then you get three wishes, whatever you want, right? In the ancient world, there was uh, these popular uh, pagan religions had, would, would all have these healing shrines, these sites, these places that if you went and if you uh, uh, rubbed the right thing, if you said the right words, if you were the first one in line for the day, right, you got the magical, you know, Chick-fil-A for a year kind of treatment, right? Whatever it was that was alien, alien you, alien you. Whatever it was that was causing you distress or anxiety, whatever it was that, that brought fear into your life, weakness, pain, all those things could be resolved. And, and so uh, a group of folks, people who were deeply hurting, 
people whose legs didn't work, people whose eyes couldn't see, people who were, uh, as the text says, invalids. They had gathered and, and they had uh, heard the name of God and they knew God to be all-powerful, but they mixed it with this, cop, this popular religion at the time, right? They, they took this concept of God and they mixed it with this promise of a magical healing. And they came to believe something like this. Now you'll see in your, in your text um, the, that there is a missing verse 4 here. And you'll find it in your footnotes there. And, and what happened to verse 4 was, was over the years of, of transmission of this text, there was a, a time when, when people started writing notes in the margins more than likely. Notes of, about why it is that these people were gathering at a pool. What is he talking about in verse 7 when he says get into the pool? And, and, and what was initially written as a margin note more than likely has worked its way into some of the late manuscripts. Um, and so uh, you can find it there. It wasn't in what John wrote, but it probably relays to us exactly what the kind of belief of the day was, right? There was this story that the angel of God would come down and, and he would stir up the pool. And if you were in the right place at the right time, Right? If you said the right words and you were able to, to be the first one in the bath, then you would be the lucky recipient for the day. You would be the one person who would gain healing. And so these people who were hurt and broken and desperate would gather around this pool, not because God promised that he would heal them, but because they believed in a God who they could treat like a genie. One they could rub the right way and get their wishes Answered. It was kind of uh, the perfect blend of the God of the Bible and the God that they really wanted to be true, right? The God who revealed themselves in Scripture and the, the superstitious God that they desperately would answer the, the thing that hurt them most in life, their physical ailments. We live in a world today, and, and we, our culture is not real high on healing shrines, right? But we uh, are still prone to some of these same beliefs, right? We still want to believe that if someone wrongs us, that maybe karma will get them back at the end, right? We still uh, experience uh, and, and witness this phenomenon in, in our world where, where people will send money to these televangelists, right? There's people who, who believe that if I do these right things, then I will have wealth or I will find healing, right? I just got to write a check to the right televangelist and uh, seed money and God will pay me back. I just uh, have to to go to the right church, and I will leave feeling uplifted and good. But that's, for most of us, it's a belief that God is just kind of the, the flourishing accent, the, the divine therapist, the therapist who's there when we need him and conveniently gone when we don't want him there, the God that, that we can use to tell ourselves, I'm okay, I'm going to make it because God is going to bring everything that I need. It's the, the God of self-help means. It's the God who brings the relief to the things that trouble us most, but somehow Denver has concerns of his own. 
It's the God who helps those who help themselves, if you will. You see, there's all these iterations where we've taken the God that we want to be true, the God of the genie, and we've tried to squeeze him into real, true Christianity, but it just doesn't work. Jesus comes into this system, and he comes to this pool filled with these people, and the real Jesus comes, and he looks at this man, and he says this incredible statement, do you want to be healed? Like, no, like, do you really want to be healed? Like, I know you've been laying here for 38 years waiting for healing, but is this really what you want? Do you want to continue playing the game of self-deception, or do you want to see transformation happen? Jesus is calling out that it's, it's kind of like, like a, a made-in-China tag on a fleece, right? It's, it's, a, it's a tag that is clearly evident, but it doesn't say made-in-China. It says made-by-man because the folly is self-evident. I once had a, a friend, and he told me his, his portion of his story, right? And he had been uh, evangelized and converted to Christianity in a, in a particular strain, a particular family strain of, of Christianity that was prone to these, these faith healers, right? And so as a young Christian, a college age uh, man, there's this faith healer who came to town and he promised that God would give you whatever it is that you need if you just come and you, if you have real faith. And so he signed up to be a, an usher, a helper at this event. And he said, I will never forget, because one of their biggest jobs was helping all these people who came in wheelchairs, right? And I helped them out of their wheelchairs and into their seats. And then we just pushed their wheelchairs to the side, right? Not No regard for whose wheelchair went with what person, because they weren't going to need them anymore at the end of the night. And he said, I will never forget the most harrowing experience of my life was picking up these people and putting them back in their wheelchairs at the end of the night. These people who came thinking if they rubbed the, their prayer the right way, if they said the right words, that God would surely show up. And then were left that night still in their wheelchair and wondering if they had believed anything true at all. The failure, the self-evident tag, the made-by-man tag, is clear and evident. You've been here for 38 years. Do you really want to be healed? But there's not just a religion that treats God like a, a magical genie in this text. Uh, Jesus comes across folks who, who treat God like a screaming baby. Okay? Uh, hang with me here. Screaming baby. If you have ever had the, the privilege of holding a screaming baby you know you have one goal in your life, and that is to make the screaming baby shut up, right? To be quiet, to be still. I have three, uh, three kids who are not screaming babies as much anymore, right? But when they were infants, I had a, a special trick with each of them, right? Each one of them had a different hold that I would do, and everyone would mock me because these, the way that I would hold these babies would look incredibly awkward, right? Like with Levi, I would like turn his legs into like a little pretzel, like Indian style, and hold on to him and turn him at this perfect angle, and then pat his butt at like this perfect rhythmic beat, right? Because I was convinced that I had found this was Levi's magical potion. This was the way to make him be quiet, 
This was the way to get him out of my way so that I could think or I could eat or I could do anything in life, right? There was this one particular way that I would finesse and hold him and then he would get out of my way. We come to this text and there's these Pharisees and these teachers of the law, right? Jesus has come and he has found this man, this poor man, and he has for the first time exposed him to the real God, the God who can really change things, the God who can really address what is hurting and painful, and, and he has given him legs to walk on again. Literally, he has given him legs to walk on, and then these folks come. And they say to this man, what are you doing? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? Why are you up walking around carrying a mat? Don't you realize what is going on here? Don't you realize that you are breaking the law of God? You see, these men had a particular religion. It was a religion that treated God like a screaming baby, the God who just needed to get out of their way so that they could feel good and go about their life. And the particular way that these men did it is they took what the law said, they took what God said about this Sabbath day, this day that was supposed to be a day of rest, right? A day when you didn't do anything, and they made all these extra rules to go along with it. They made these rules of, of that you can't light a fire, right? They made these rules that you can't... Uh, to walk too many steps. They made rules after rules after rules of what it meant to not work, right? Because as long as they contorted the law the special way, they twisted the legs of the law and they patted it on the butt, then maybe, just maybe, God wouldn't whine at them anymore. Maybe God would leave them alone and they could feel assured in God's presence. Of course, there's other people, though, that... that that uh, do this a little bit differently, right? They don't try to contort and add on laws uh, to, God's, to God's rules as much as they, they do the opposite, right? They don't try to, to find the magical way to make the baby stop screaming. They say, let the baby cry. Let him cry it out, right? And they come to the Sabbath, this day that God made, and he says, this is a gift for man. A gift for man to to rest from his labors, but not just a rest in any sort of way, a rest that focuses on God, a rest that reminds them that this day is the Lord's day and not their own. So they can't just choose rest in any way that they want. They choose rest in a way that reminds them of the provision of God, the gathering of the saints at worship, right? The, the, the hearing and gathering at the table with families, the reading and the singing that reminds them of who this God is, a God who provides. God gave them this good gift, and one side wanted to treat God like a, a crying baby and say, okay, if I get all the rules right, then God will shut up and leave me alone and let me live my life. And another group says, well, you know, God's rules are just a little too much, right? You can't deal with this baby there. You can't win with this baby. It's always going to scream, so just lock it up in the upper room. Maybe taking a day off work isn't really that important. 
right? Maybe taking a day to, to focus and prioritize gathering for worship with, with brothers and sisters. You don't need to deal with that. God's just a crying baby. Lock him in the room. But what if God's not a baby for us to deal with, right? What if the question is not to begin with how you experience God, but how God experiences you? What if this rest that God makes is not just a way to, to rustle our attention? It's not just a way to make us in pain and agony. What if God's rules actually were meant for your good? Jesus comes into this system. Jesus comes in and these men have made these rules to treat God like he's just something to pacify, something to get out of their way. And he says, no. He goes out of his way on the Sabbath to go find someone who needed to be healed, and he heals them because he needed to remind them all the Sabbath is the Lord's day. It's a day for God's redemptive work to be exposed and to be celebrated, and yes, that means for this man to get up and walk. Jesus didn't play ball with their man-made religion. And the folly, the foolishness, the made-by-man tag is, is clearly seen. You can see it when the man uh, interacts with these, these Pharisees, right? And they want to they wanna bring him to court. They want to try him, and they say, Who is it that told you? Like, don't you realize that you have screwed up here? Don't you realize you've not done the magical way that we prescribed? And, and the guy says, like, the man who healed me. That man said to me, take up your bed and walk, right? The, the self-evident foolishness of their leader's religion, their made-up man-made religion was that it just didn't square with reality, right? If someone's able to heal you with words, if someone's able to give strength to legs that have not had strength for 38 years, he probably knows what he's talking. And so is the God who tells us, I have given you this day of rest as a gift. That you might be reminded that this day, like all the others, is given by the hand of God. But if religion is not a God that treats God like a uh, magical genie, and if the true Christianity is not a religion that treats God like he's a, a screaming baby to be de dealt with, the religion that Jesus comes is a religion that treats God like he's God. Like he's the author of the story rather than the accent to the story. A, 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 a st the, the writer of this thing rather than the other. You see, the man who came for, who was healed that day, he went to that pool thinking he could rub the, ramp, the lamp the right way and find the real God. But Jesus enters into the story and he wants to expose what his real need is. We see it here uh, in this what can sound almost abrupt words that Jesus says. They've, they've healed him, and, and Jesus finds him sometime afterwards in verse 14, it says. And it says, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And this might sound a little bit like uh, Jesus is like a mob boss or something, right? Like, I really hope nothing bad worse happens to your family, right? 
but you're, we're, we're reading it the wrong way if we do, because what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you thought your greatest need was for your legs to be able to work again. The thing that brought you pain and the thing to which you sought relief was this legs that were shriveled up. But there is a worse reality than not being able to walk. When Jesus says there is something worse that may happen to you, he's saying it in the context of this story of a, a benevolent, loving creator, God, who has created a world and a created a world for, for mankind to live and to thrive and to bear his image in it. But mankind, including this paralytic man, has made war against their God. We use the word sin, and it sounds so quaint, and it sounds so meaningless. But in the context of the biblical story of reality, to, to, to sin is like saying you're a police officer who's going to clean up the streets by visiting the drug dealer, Right? To sin is to, is to say, I owe allegiance to you when you're looking, right? To sin is to make war against the peace and the kindness and the goodness of God. And there is a way, there is a story that happens to people over and over and over again is when they look at this benevolent father and they reject his love and they walk away and they endure an eternal condemnation of being sent from his presence because he they don't think his good news is good they don't think his healing heals what's really important so when Jesus finds this man after his healing, what his message to him is to say, you have been healed from your legs, but your legs do you no good if all they let you do is walk into hell as opposed to be pushed into hell. Right? There is a, a goodness that comes from realizing your need has never been. The thing that has always bothered you the most, your greatest need physically your greatest need emotionally, your greatest need spiritually has never been the legs that don't walk. Your legs that don't walk come because mankind has made war against God and the world cannot be the same. We see Jesus enter into this story and he comes into the story to label what is really Real, that he might understand the world that he lives in, that he might understand the story that he was telling. It's the same Jesus who comes to him in that moment. The same Jesus who comes and finds him and says, sin no more is literally in the midst of a far bigger story. You see, the, the, the other man-made religions, they bore the, the tag, the label that said made by man. The, the folly of them was self-evident, but so too is the evidence of the authenticity of Jesus' story. Because the Jesus who says your greatest need is to listen and to believe, your greatest need is to stop making war with God, would be the God who put his money where his mouth is. That as he heard the words of Jesus say, sin no more, that nothing worse would happen to you. Jesus was walking down a road that would bring him to his death. 
When Jesus says your sin is what is most important, your sin is what is bringing you death, your sin is what's bringing you misery and pain and sorrow, Jesus wasn't bluffing. God wasn't bluffing. We know he was serious about it because the reason he was there was that he might die on a cross to forgive him of that sin. The penalty that he paid was uh, the mark, the authenticity that said not made by man, but this is a relationship that's made and initiated by God in heaven who loves you and longs for you not to perish or to suffer. A God who longs for you to have legs of eternal life. So when we come to this text this morning, the question that's being asked of us is, are you dealing with God? Not the God who's, who's, whose name has just been plastered on a, on a fake fleece. But the God who, who doesn't answer our every whim that we might know him better. The real God who doesn't just deal with us uh, when he's screaming or crying, but a God who comes to you as a father comes to a drowning child and says, believe in me that you might have freedom, that you might have life. Don't deal with the false religions that could tell you if you come here and do all the right things that God will accept you because that's not how it works. Don't come here and believe the, the religions that come and say you can do whatever you want and God will always forgive you because uh, that's not true either. The, believe the religion that says Jesus Christ has dealt with your greatest need. And thus you can live out of gratitude and thankfulness to him. You can live in the freedom of what he has done. That, that's a religion that bears the tag of authenticity. That's a religion that tells us it was made by man. Deal with the father. Deal with the son who paid for your freedom with his life. Because dying people don't have a tendency to lie. Deal with the God who promises us that we can enter into his kingdom with his legs because he gives us his freedom, and his truth. Deal with a son who gave you his own life, and he gives you his life to live. Pray with me. Father God, I pray this morning as we uh, look at these stories, Lord, and I pray that you would give us the, 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 the place of mind and the pause of heart to, to look at our lives and see what it is that we've been putting your name on, the thing that we've been trusting other than you, the, the hope that you would be the kind of God who grants us our wishes or the, the hope that you would be the God who would just be quiet about your rules and instead that we would see you and the love that you have offered us, the love that you worked out in the life and the death, the resurrection, and the life yet to come of Jesus Christ. And let us see our world in light of the world you've made. Pray this in Jesus' name.